I told Milt I wanted to go and hear him instead, and I guess I get to do both. <laughs> I'm from Blythe, California. You all know where Blythe is, don't you? It ain't hell, but you have to get through the hell to get there. <laughs> At least I did. I went through hell to get to Blythe. Actually, what I'm doing in Blythe is uh, that there's a man in Blythe. That's what I'm doing in Blythe. Uh, <laughs> If he croaks tomorrow, I'm out of there tomorrow night. Um, he's just a great guy. He's, he's, he's a kind of husband like Albert is, I think. He, we're both dedicated to making me happy. Um, I've got him convinced he never had it so good in a woman's place as in the mall. Do not despair, ladies. I had to kiss a thousand toads. <laughs> Actually, I kiss them as princes, and they, I turn them into toads. But, uh... <laughs> I'm really from Orange County also. Um, I met him in the care unit, too. I was his counselor. <laughs> well, I'll get to that a little later. <laughs> I uh, I was born a long time ago. I'm really a young person in an old container. But I was, uh, in case you didn't know, I'm a Mexican. Huh? I was born in a barrio. I was born when they kept the mothers in the hospital a whole week, and when they came home with this baby, they they didn't have a name for me. And the reason for that is because my uh, daddy wanted to name me after his girlfriend, and my mother's narrow-minded. <laughs> my mother is of the little purple lip variety. She, she is a Mexican, so she don't have blue lips. She has purple lips. And um, I had an older sister that was perfect. You know the type I'm talking about. They always told her what to do, and she always did it right, and she screwed it up for me because I never remembered how to be good until after I was bad, and they're always whipping on me. I don't know I'm a better child. If I'd have thought I was a better child, I'd have held it against them guys. I just thought I got whipped because I didn't know how to be good. I held everything else against them, and uh, uh, they were divorced when I was about seven, and my mother would say things to me like, you're just like your father, and I knew what her opinion was of him. She didn't like him too well. So she sent me to the nuns so they could teach me to be a lady. And what the nuns thought was a lady wasn't appealing to me then, and it isn't appealing to me now. In fact, in fact it was really boring. i never been one that likes anything boring. I still don't like boring. And not only did I not know how to be good, but as soon as they said, Thou shalt not... I may not have thought of doing it before, but as soon as they said, thou shalt not, I had an overwhelming desire to do it. And it seems that I would get this idea, and I couldn't get it out of my mind. I just thought about it all the time until I did it. And somebody dared me, and I raised the nun's curtsy, what she had under all them clothes, and they 86 me from catechism. And, and I, I got home and got my whipping, and, uh, well, that... I was always an embarrassment to my mother. My mother never thought I was an alcoholic. She thought I was just weird and different. I I was that too, but uh, um, 
when I told her some of the things that I ever did, she said, well, if you were an alcoholic, you don't get it from my side of the family. <laughs> when I got to school the next day, all the kids thought I was terrific. I got all that attention from them because I was so surprised because, you see, I had done something that they all wanted to do, and I just did it because that's the only thing that ever made me feel like I was important, like uh, I didn't have to um, make excuses for the air I was breathing. And it seems to me that I was born with an emptiness in my soul. There was a yearning, a hunger, a longing to be loved, to be wanted, to be accepted. As a little child, I I remember the overwhelming emotion of my life was uh, holding myself and just rocking, wailing like a wounded animal, because I don't know what's wrong with me. Something is terribly wrong with me that I cannot be loved and accepted the way my sister and my brother are. It seems to me that as a child, I just was so hungry to get my mother's love and approval. And no matter what I did, I was never enough. Uh, I was always so hungry for love. I'd have given my heart to be anybody that would take it. And so I'm one that believes I always had the pilot lit. All I ever needed was the fuel. There was things going on in my home. My mother remarried with a man that got a little funny uh, with me, and I went and told her, and she said I was a liar, that I was always uh, lying and saying things against people that were not true. And, you know, I felt like a... a Wind, uh, a feather in the wind that nobody wants. And I started to think about, I'm going to go over there with my daddy. Now my daddy was over in the San Fernando Valley where he'd taken up light housekeeping with a lady with eight kids, and all he wants is one more. But he used to uh, take people up north to pick grapes and prunes, and we were fruit pickers. And uh, uh, God made two kinds of Mexicans as fruit pickers and non-fruit pickers. And I'm not a fruit picker. They tried to make a fruit picker out of me, and it didn't take. You know, I've gotten really close to a lot of things, and I've loved to do a lot of things, but work ain't one of them. And my husband knows this, so he says that he ever feels like he's going to hear it coming, he's going to run to the freeway and need a truck so I can get double and from his insurance. Uh, well, I'll tell you what did take. We stayed beyond. We were in a place that out of the twilight zone called Livingston. Uh, I don't know if you know where that's at, uh, but uh, it, uh, it was foggy after the grape season was over, and they gave my dad a case of sherry wine, and somebody must have said, Thou shalt not. Because I had a big water glass of sherry wine, and when it went down, it went, boom! It felt like when you put your finger in the electrical socket. I mean, I just, everything felt just wonderful. And I thought, and I knew that the next one would be even better. And so I had that wine glass, and then I had more, and I don't know what happened trying to keep that feeling. I overshot the goal. I came to the next day. I told you I was born a long time ago when I was in Pachuco days. You don't know when that was. This is a long time ago where we had the big hairdos, and I come to the next day, and all that hair is all over my head. You drink water and get drunk all over again. Uh, and I knew something terrible had happened. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was something terrible. 
And I had a sense of shame of being dirty that went all the way through me. I didn't know how to say to anybody that I felt those things. I just knew that I didn't know, want to know what I had done. Terrified to know and terrified not to know. And that's the way it was whenever I drank. It was shortly after I came back to Orange County with my mother and I wasn't wanted home. And so I started living here and there and anywhere with anybody that would put up with me for a little while. And this is the time when I discovered the booze and the boys and the cha-cha-cha. God, I love the booze and the boys and the cha-cha-cha. And we, we Mexicans, we like to have them parties the whole weekend long where, where there's shootings and knifings and the cops and the ambulance. They ain't had no fun unless you've had one of those parties. And I, I was one of the original topless, bottomless dancers in them parties. I don't even get paid for it, and I don't even remember it, but the, the, the girls... <laughs> The girls always want to tell me what I did, so I used to beat them up, and then they didn't tell me. I didn't know how to handle anything that was embarrassing, anything that I was ashamed of, except with violence. That's the only thing I knew is violence, and so uh, uh, that's how I handled that. And um, I also don't know how to work, so I take up burglary. wasn't a bad person. It just seemed to be a good idea at the time, and your things were much more interesting than mine. And uh, I was really surprised when the state of California discovered me, and they sent me before a judge, and there said my mother and all the mother purple lip little people looking, <laughs> looking at you, you, you with that look. You know that look? They said, we told you so, look. That look of contempt, huh? And I'm just sitting there. You're I'm slick, hip, and cool, and wear them big army shirts, you know, and, just a fatigues. I've always been brought around the beans, like, you know, in a tie. Um, I just must have really looked marvelous. And the judge asked me, well, young lady, what do you think we ought to do with you? And I looked at him, scrunched down on my seat and raised my collar up and says, well, you're the judge, man. You ought to know. That's the wrong person to have that kind of an attitude with. He said, he sent me off to do a little bit of time for the state of California. And gosh, I was supposed to do nine months and do 13 months because I don't know how to be good there either. And I thought I'd be the only gray-haired little old lady come out in that girls' reformatory. When they finally let me out, I took my first inventory because I'm always been one that wants to live in the answer and not in the problem. I don't have a job. I don't have a home. I don't have any money. I don't have an education. And I'm thinking, what in order? I can't go through with it. I better go out and find me a husband because God knows I need somebody to take care of me. And I went out looking for a husband in places that husbands are not to be looked for. <laughs> and unfortunately for both of us, I found one. <laughs> been apologizing to my kids ever since. <laughs> There's a certain kind of man always caught my attention. Usually they got big muscles and wear tight T-shirts. They walk with a little slouch. huh? And they usually got tattoos, and it usually says mother and born to lose. And they got greasy hair and shiny eyes and all teeth. And they say, what's happening, baby? Oh, God. Went all the way through me. I used to think that look was charisma. Today I know it to be psychosis. <laughs> My sponsor says you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit, but we tried, huh? <laughs> We were like 
like the cat that jumped on the skunk. Didn't get all he wanted, just all he could stand. <laughs> he built them castles in the air, and three months later we were pregnant, and I was married in that order. I made her married a mainline heroin user, and you just don't live happily ever after with one of those. Very exciting, but not very happy. <laughs> he had an idea what a good Mexican wife should be, and I had an idea what a good Mexican husband should be, and never the twain shall meet. And we got the scars to prove it. Well, he starts hearing them stories about me and them bars, and he don't want nobody talking that way about his wife. So he decides I should stay home. Well, I don't stay home silently. So, you know, um, he comes in, and, and I start asking him where he is, and, and it escalates. And he, he says he doesn't want me to talk that way about his mother and his grandmother <laughs> and who, he, who his father was, or he's going to hit me. And I said, thou shalt not. So I jump him, just in case. <laughs> we just had a terrific marriage, this man and I. And he... Uh, um, He's got to do something to stop this, so he introduces me to little white pills with crosses on them. I don't know what they are, but I sure knew what they did to me. I had one eyeball over there and one over there, and I'd make baby clothes all night long. <laughs> put it together and tear it apart. Never could tell when it was time to put it together, time to tear it apart. Chew the inside of my mouth, chew gum, smoke cigarettes, drink coffee, clean the house with a toothbrush, dance with a cha-cha-cha and... Sing with the mariachis all at the same time. <laughs> and I'm quick. <laughs> After three days of this, and my body says, let's go to sleep. And my mind says, get up, let's have fun. And oh, God. You know, once I started taking uppers, I got to take downers, and I got to wash them down with whatever alcohol was working at the time. You know, there used to be a bumper sticker that said, uh, I had bumper stickers of Friday too, Craig. And it, there was a bumper sticker that said, I found it. Boy, I knew I found it. There isn't any feeling like it to be pulled in all directions at once. And I'll tell you, with that man and I were quite equipped for parenthood. By the time I had my baby, I knew this man didn't want to be married, and I knew he didn't want to be married to me. And when they put that baby in my arms, I felt like finally, finally, somebody belongs to me. She belonged to me. Nobody had ever belonged to me. I was so hungry for love. All I ever wanted was somebody to love me and cherish me. And when they put that baby in my arms, she inspired feelings within me that nobody ever has before or since. But I am a child in a woman's body. And I took that baby and her sister to places that children should not be taken because I'm an alcoholic. I promised my baby I would never mistreat her, abandon her, and discard her. Way down inside of me, there was always a spark of the woman that I am tonight. But I'm an alcoholic. And when I, and I'm an alcoholic woman. When I drink, I have absolutely no choices and no rights. When I drink, I'm gonna do what's in front of me to do. I don't know why I never think about tomorrow and prices. I just do it because it seems to be a good idea at the time. And I think that the things that are happening to me are my fault, you see. There's something very ugly on the inside of me. I left their daddy after the second one was born because I figured he wasn't... I was 22, felt older at 22 than I do today at 62. I just knew that that I could look in the mirror and I knew that I would never find anybody else if I didn't leave him. And besides, I had Plan B over here already checked out. (laughs) 
And uh, I went out and I fell in love. I've always been in love. The guy I fell in love with was called CB, and he, uh, that's what his nickname stood for, Crazy Bastard. And uh, <laughs> when I fall in love, I fall in love all over my body forever. I can't remember the names of some of the men I've fallen in love with forever. This time it's going to be different. And I spent five years as an unprotected by drinking woman, and I know the feeling of degradation and self-loathing that a woman alcoholic goes through when she's unprotected and she drinks in bars. That feeling of shame of being dirty inside. I have to hide it and pretend that I like to be uh, talked to in the ways I was talked and touched in the ways I was touched, but I hated it inside, and I blame me for everything. After five years of waking up with strange people, and many a times, I had to come home where there was not uh, uh, enough chemicals inside of me to kill what I had in that cold water shack that when I would uh, come in and uh, turn the light on, the sink would be black with cockroaches and there was mice in that filthy floor. And in that dirty house lived two little girls that the romance of being a mother had long since died and the responsibility weighed heavy for me, you see. They were in my way of my having fun. I, You know, the fact that those kids are even alive today is a miracle because uh, I left them everywhere, any place, sometimes alone, and would come home, uh, and they were just in my way. They had the big eyes. I didn't come here by myself. There is an ugly side to my story, just like there is to you, of yours, where I could come home and they would start making noises and I would come to before I was ready and then I would start hitting and and I was screaming and I'd hit and I'd hit and I hit and I wouldn't stop and I couldn't stop until there was blood in there till there was screams and there was begs begging me to stop and when a semblance of sanity would return and I would see what they had done to those little girls I hated me I've heard many women come into the program and say that they've lost their children and they're very sad but in those days I used to think for God's sakes won't somebody please take these little girls and give them a normal life because I knew it was my fault and I couldn't seem to stop after five years of this, I just got so tired. Besides, I started getting letters from my husband that was someplace in Texas getting the cure, and he says, he wrote home and sent pictures. You know, there's nothing like them dope fiends when they clean up, don't they? they them, them muscles and them tattoos start filling out again. And, he says, babes, this time it's going to be different. And, and so we made the Mexican Geographic we moved about 20 miles from Mama, and uh, we bought we bought a little acre of ground and some horses and the chickens, and we were going to be farmers as Dolphin and I. Uh, I even married him in a Catholic church. That's going to any length for a Catholic, especially since he was a Methodist. I mean, this guy was going to work, was going to be happy no matter what. <laughs> And we joined the PTA, and I, I don't know, I'm a firm believer you can place me in the best of circumstances, but sooner or later I have to create what is inside of me, because it's inside of me, I can't live, you see. And when he makes a, a pass at my neighbor, I go beat the neighbor up, and uh, them normal people, they don't like for you to beat them up. They call the cops and stuff like that. 
now he starts making his run back to Orange County, and uh, uh, the best thing I can say about Mira Loma is it's in the middle of four wineries, and, and we're close to, we were close to Cucamonga, that's wine country south. And uh, some of the wine I drank, I don't think I ever saw the grape. It just uh, got the job done, though. My drinking changed around this time. Uh, something just, some light just went out from inside of me. The light of any hope at all. And I started drinking in my bedroom. There was no more parties. There was no more people. I ran off anybody that came near to me. Anybody called relatives, anything. Anybody called in-laws, anybody called friends. I just ran them off, you see. I had come to the place in my drinking that no matter what I drank, it would not stop the madness anymore. I got to the place where all I could do was drink in a dirty bedroom and cry out and cry out in agony. I started looking for help in places that I, that I had heard help was available. I went to different churches and studied and uh, I've been sprinkled and dunked and had flower, flower petals thrown at and I've been to churches where they say come down and, and we'll save you and I was always the first, first one down. I'm getting mine. And I'd go down and get, get saved and got home and got unsaved and this went over and over and over again. And I just got tired. What can I tell you? That I lay on a dirty bed in a dirty bedroom in Miraloma, where I come to the place in my drinking that I drank and I drank and the body's drunk and the mind's in agony. That there's no more peace for me. There's just madness inside. The only kind of peace I ever had was when I was passed out, come to in my own filth, and I was a young woman and I was dead inside. I just decided to kill myself. I was so tired. I was so weary. But I couldn't do it in front of those little girls that had uh, had so much pain in their lives. So I waited until this man was home, and I told him I was going to kill myself. And, and he said, all right. Uh, and um, we had a slight communication pl- problem. Uh, so I went and took a bath and cleaned my house. And uh, you know how you do it. So they were, just in case I died, they would know how I lived. Uh, um, so I went and took a bath and... And went to bed to die. And I was relieved that I was going to die. And when I came to a couple of days later, I wasn't glad to be alive. I was terrified and I was angry. Because I couldn't drink and I couldn't be sober and I couldn't live and I couldn't die. This man had been in bed with me both nights while I was in that coma. And never once did he consider taking me to a doctor or to a hospital. I felt like a piece of used meat that nobody wants, and I have no place to go. When I would th- when I would think upon that day for a long time, I would sink into a pit of self-pity uh, about being absolutely worthless. But looking back today, I can see where my higher power has always had his hand upon my life, even on that day. You see, that day there, there was a knock on the door. is a lady from the PTA. If there's somebody I didn't want to see, it's a lady from the PTA. <laughs> and there stood Mrs. Clean, say, hi. <laughs> she took one look at me, and I must have been downwind from her because she said, what is wrong? You know, I've been laying my own filth there for a couple of days and nights. and um, I proceeded to tell her what was wrong. And about this SOB. I never told anybody anything about me, but it was his fault. I was trying to kill myself. I don't know what I, how you are, but I know when I've talked too long. 
they get a little zeal in their eyes. And she did too, and I said, oh, oh. And she asked me if I ever heard I Al-Anon, and I'd never heard I Al-Anon, but I got the idea that if I went there, he would straighten up. So she cleaned me up and took me to Al-Anon, and somehow I didn't fit in in Al-Anon. I, I felt a little bit... Uh, uh, I felt a little bit like a whore would in a nunnery. There was a, absolutely no identification between me and them square broads. Yeah, but I went and smiled at him. I had heard someplace that I had a beautiful smile, so I smiled at him. You know that one that says, the lights are on, but there's nobody home? <laughs> I found out years later they used to laugh at me. I thought I was fooling them. But I remember that they hugged me, and then ladies hugged me. Me, they hunt. And uh, now uh, this lady wants me to go back. I go back. I don't want to go back after. I don't hear anything. I'm so loaded all the time that I'm there. I don't know. Then the day came, I heard something called release. So I went home and told him in detail how I was going to release him. So he used to sleep with his clothes on and a knife under the pillow. And I would sit in the corner with a big black coat on and watch him. As he'd be a dozing off, I'd go take a little peek at him. And he'd go, oh. God, that felt good. It was almost sexual. It just felt great. And he would say unkind things to me. He'd say, baby, I may have a monkey on my back, but you got an orangutan. I thought he was so bad, he made me look good. I never knew you could go, that you could move. So that life was unbearable. It was familiar. And fear has been the great compromiser of my life. And I always had a feeling there, way down inside of me, that said, do anything you want to me. Just don't leave me. I can't stand the abandonment. I can't stand for there be nobody there for me, you see. The fear of rejection and abandonment. And I'd have stayed there for, with him till I'd have killed him or forced him to kill me, you see. Ah. Uh, one day I came home and he was gone. He took everything with him. He wasn't planning on coming back. And because bad luck comes in bunches, they also kicked me out of Al-Anon. And, uh, <laughs> They appointed this poor soul that inflicted me upon them to to throw me over to their husbands, who they didn't like either. So this lady came over and cleaned me up one day and, and was taking me to a meeting in Pomona, which about, was about half hour from where I lived. And uh, um, she took me to an old, dilapidated old house in the bad part of the neighborhood well. And then she took me around through the back. I'm a Mexican, so they're bringing me around through the back. And then they took me through the kitchen where all the Melanons were standing around doing what Melanons do in the kitchen. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I like to think that I'm not really saying anything, and I am not saying anything derogatory about them, ladies, because they saved my life. They kept me until I was able to come to you. I would have never thought, never entered my mind that I was an alcoholic. But I walk through them ladies and I'm not looking in their faces. I'm not giving them the satisfaction of me seeing the contempt and disgust in their eyes. I just looked at my feet and I walked through them. And I walked through into a meeting
meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous in August of 1964 and listened to the music of Alcoholics Anonymous. I listened to that belly laughter, that smile that reaches the soul, that shine in the eyes, and that happy talk. And those are the sounds of Alcoholics Anonymous. There's music and there's words here. And I never knew what you said, but I heard you. I heard you what you were. From the very first day that I walked in here, I loved how I felt when I was with you guys. And I just sat back there and let it wash over my soul. And I hungered for it. I hungered for it. I just thought, it's too bad I'm not an alcoholic. (laughs) If there's another name for the disease that you and I have, it's called, I ain't got it. Now, I know I'm weird and I know I'm different and about three steps ahead of the man with a butterfly net, but I'm not an alcoholic. I used to be an alcoholic. When I was a kid, I was an alcoholic. But I discovered the secret to to cure alcoholism. It's called Benzedrine. I just could not find the right combination anymore. You see, that alcohol had never been a problem to me. It had always been my answer. The answer to what was going on in my head. The madness inside. So I looked around at all them sober, single, good-looking young guys, and I said, I'm going to get me one of those. <laughs> and I did. It was the thickest one there. It had to be. I got radar. In Pomona, they used to go around the room, and when it came to me, I'd say, I'm Angie, and I'm a visitor. Now, I'm not an alcoholic, and they kicked me out of al so I'm not saying I'm an al And people let me be a visitor. You never said you don't belong here. Somehow you understood I've been kicked in the teeth by life and rejected by everybody I'd come in contact with, and I couldn't have stood any more rejection. You put your arm around her and said, keep coming back. The most important words that you and I have to say to one another, keep coming back. Do you know what that feels like when you're used to people saying, keep on going, weirdo? <laughs> what a disappointment it was to me when I found out you were telling that to everybody. I just thought it was me. <laughs> well, I stopped drinking along the way because I felt a little bit, you know, just kind of like a phony. And so I doubled up on the Milltowns and Benzedrine and got weirder. And this guy wants to get rid of me because I'm so weird. I want to kill him. I always want to kill him. If they don't behave, I want to kill him. That's how you make him behave. I want him to kill him. But they don't like to, for you to want to kill him when they're sober. For some reason, they want to get away from me. And I'm not easy to get rid of because I didn't have a backup. So I'm a... <laughs> Sounded okay to me. Made sense to me. So I moved to, Mo- to Pomona to be closer to the action. And I walked into our room one day. There's this cute little boy. His big blue eyes and blonde hair. Billy knows him. And uh, um, he's just gotten out of the boys' reformatory, and he says he don't have a girlfriend. He's just script, you see. Uh, the, 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 Bill Wilson said that the best, uh, the, I don't remember anymore. <laughs> no, I remembered it. I remembered it. That the good is the enemy of the best. And you know, see, I was always willing to settle for whatever good there was, because I knew that, that this was better than nothing. And I had, uh, I don't have a God. I don't like God. I'm mad at God. Uh, I tried to bomb the Monsignor's church, and so he kicked me out of his church. Uh, all I asked was for a little annulment uh, of that marriage, so I could marry that guy who wants to get rid of me. Um, I don't know. Uh, a little confusing there. Uh, anyway... <laughs> 
I thought you ruined this program. Why do you have to bring God into it? You're such nice people. And uh, we don't want to live in a fantasy. And I know today that the only relationship that keeps on growing is our relationship that I have with my higher power today. And he was my God. I turned, I wanted my God to have a face, and I turned my will and my life over to his care. And when he got drunk, so did I. And it was not my uh, worst drunk, but it seemed to be my most hopeless one. My sponsor says there's only one good drunk in every alcoholic, and that's the one that removes all doubt. I'm one that had to drink uh, all the fun out of the bottles. I'm one that had to go out and remove all doubt and come back desperate. It helps to stay sober if you're desperate, you see. I had no place else to go. And uh, the miracle for me is not that I've come back to Alcoholics Anonymous. The miracle is that I'm still here. And that last December, the 22nd, I celebrated my 30th birthday. And that is And and the victory is not mine. It belongs to us. My sobriety belongs to us. I used to say things like, I am a miracle. And uh, and so I have felt like a miracle. But I am not a miracle. The program of Alcoholics Anonymous is the miracle. As long as I stay here and fulfill the conditions of recovery, I am part of the miracle. But if I were, I have known people that are miracles and uh, walk away from the sunlight of the spirit that's available in this rooms and what happened to their miracle. You see, the miracle is Alcoholics Anonymous. I came back because a man named Carson went and brought me back on a rainy Wednesday night in December. Now, Carson was a type of man that people talked about that preyed on young women that were new. I don't know anything about that. I just know that Carson saved my life. And I came back and... uh, uh, they would read things like, rarely have we seen a person fail. And I knew when they said, rarely, I knew somebody wasn't going to make it. And they'd say, a little further on down, they're not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. My mother would tell you I was born that way. But a little further on down, it says, and then there are those that have grave emotional and mental disorders. I am so grateful that I have that in there. Because that's the catch-all for those of us that think our case is different. Our case is different. I think it gets harder and harder to think my case is different. I get a, I used to get a little bit old-timer uptight when I'd hear people say, I'm, a, I'm so-and-so and I'm a something else. And I'd say, what? Alcoholics Anonymous is could be called Plenty Wrong Anonymous because there's plenty wrong with all of us. It doesn't matter what other uh, thing is wrong with us. We're all degenerates. We're a bunch of, Chuck C. used to call us a leper colony. I think we're just degenerates. And that love all the, the things that are not supposed, you're not supposed to like. That's exactly what I like. And, um, <laughs> But a little further on down it says many of them do recovery. They have the capacity, to be honest. Now, I'm not presumptuous to stand up here and tell you that I have the capacity to be honest because I don't know the difference between right and wrong. That may seem strange to you, but, you know, if I want to do something bad enough, I can go home, pray about it, meditate about it, pray about it, and meditate about it, and sooner or later God will whisper in my ear that his will, his will for me. It ain't nothing to lay it on you once I convince me. I get to find How do you know it's not God's will for me? But God sends people into our life to ruin this. They're called sponsors. <laughs> I 
I got a sponsor that learned to be a sponsor from Hitler. <laughs> she is so sadistic. She says things to me like, uh, Angie, you don't have to sit in your own shit just because it's warm. And uh, <laughs> if I'm doing something that I really ought not to do, and it's just because I, I don't approve of it doesn't mean I, you know, I can stop doing it. And uh, um, she'll say, well, maybe you need to eat shit with a rusty spoon a little longer. Oh, God. <laughs> I can't go with her with my problems. You know, you're supposed to go to your sponsor with your problems. The first thing she asks me is, who's not doing it your way? You know, that makes me so mad because how does she know? When when they're doing it my way and when God's doing it my way, I'm happy. I'm happy all the time. The only time I'm not happy is when they're not doing it my way. Then it gets hard and then it gets different and gets painful. Then I got to do what I'm supposed to do here. She wasn't my sponsor in the beginning. I don't have a sponsor. The group is my sponsor. I don't like women anymore just because I'm sober. I don't like the the women that got a lot of time because they looked at me. I don't know what they're seeing, but whatever they're seeing, I don't want them to see it. I could tell by the look in their eyes they're seeing something. And I don't like them young women because I got this cute young thing. I'm like a monkey with its monklet. Taking care of me. But the men were always kinder, and it helps to be cute, 32 and cutesy-cute. Probably thought I was, I was cuter in my mind than I actually was. But <laughs> I liked how I felt with you guys. That's all. I went to a meeting every night, and in the beginning it was a step up for me to be called an alcoholic for some of the stuff I'd been called. And I loved hanging around with you. I loved all of you. You were wonderful. Then I couldn't stand some of you. Then I hated one. I know there's nobody that crass, but you know, there was a guy I hated the way he walked, the way he talked, the way he looked, the way he sat, the way he smoked, the way, everything about the way he breathed. I know I hated him because I watched him all the time. Now I'm a newcomer. I'm supposed to go to a meeting every night. I went to a meeting every night for two years. It was not sincerity as I couldn't stand to be with me in my head at home. So I went to a meeting every night. This guy didn't know nothing either. He was 12 and a half years old and still going to a meeting every night. And I knew because I saw him everywhere. I didn't know you could get there late or leave early. I just sat there and suffered. And then I would hear... I would hear people say resentments are the number one offender and for the alcoholic they are fatal. No, I never had any resentments. I didn't have any character defects either. But as I especially, you know, I never had any resentments because I either loved you or hated you. I was like a, a measuring stick from zero to a hundred with no numbers in between. And I hated this guy. But I mean, you'd say for the alcoholic they're fatal and it'll scare me and I'd go to some of the old timers that look like they knew what they're talking about and I'd say, how do you get over resentments? I put my, make sure I put my smile on. And they say, turn it over easy, does it? This two shall pass one day at a time, go home, read the book, keep coming back and don't drink. That's what they t- so, so I went home and did it. And come back the next night and check him out. You know, there's a phase where you go through with resentments that you just love it. You just love it until it turns on you. And, uh... I went to somebody else. I didn't want you to know I was a dummy, so I went to somebody else. And again, they'd say, turn it over easy, does it, this too shall pass one day at a time. Go home, read the book, keep coming back, and don't drink. After a while, I got the message. You don't know the answer either. 
either that or you're going to find out there's a fraud among you. <laughs> Somebody told me, say the serenity prayer. So I was one time in the middle of saying the serenity prayer about 10,000 times while he's talking. And then he starts to cry. I said, Jesus Christ, he's crying. How embarrassing, he's crying. Hasn't he ever heard of John Wayne, Iwo Jima, Pancho Villa, Emiliano Zapata? Somebody, for God's sakes, is crying. Only sissies and women cry. After the meeting, they all went over to hug him. I said, oh, Jesus. I went over there to hug him, too. I gave him one of them stiff arm hugs, you know, one of those, just in case what he had was contagious. I mean, what I had was bad enough without catching his, too. And he doesn't have any class. He just comes right and puts his head on my shoulder and starts to sob. I was so, it startled me. But something happened to me. It was the beginning for me. You see, the pain in him reached out and touched the pain in me. And the love that you had given to me reached out. And I felt warmth for that man, you see. I was like a a person with a glass wall on the outside looking in still with you. I didn't feel a part of you. But something happened to me in the book calls it that we have been rocketed into the fourth dimension the likes of which we had never felt. And that was the first time that I felt like I belonged here. I belonged here. I was sober nine months, and I belonged here. I was staying sober. I didn't know I was staying sober. You guys could stay sober, but my case was different. It was like hearing somebody win a big jackpot in Reno. or uh, You know it happens, but I knew it was never going to happen to me. I was just walking on air. I think I went into my pink cloud then that I have never come off of since. There's been just a great... my. My recovery has not been like up, up in a way. It's been like jerks and stops and backs. And it's just, I've been I've raised in Alcoholics Anonymous. God has brought me into sobriety by the hair, kicking and screaming every inch of the way. Every step that I've ever taken is because I got no other choice. If I had choices, I wouldn't do that stuff. It's not what I like doing. I like shouting. Shopping. That's what I like so much. I married that young guy, a lady volunteered to be my sponsor, and she told me I had to give him up. And she told me I had to learn to be a mother. And, and so I did, what I did is I, I gave up the sponsor. She made me feel guilty. <laughs> getting rid of sponsors is like getting rid of empties. You know, you just, uh, they're easy to get, it's hard to get rid of. And the day came when my higher power said it's time. The day came when my children got big and uh, I knew I had ruined them. And they started drinking and they started using drugs and, uh, drugs and I knew it was all my fault. And I would pray, God spare my babies. And he didn't spare my babies. Uh, I came home one day. We had a big fight. I hit them. And they hit me back. And they reminded me of the kind of mother I had been. Uh, my youngest one ran off to Ohio. I don't even know the Mexicans go as far as Ohio. And uh, the other one went to live in a commune and came home one day with a burn the size of a silver dollar in her chest where people had been putting out cigarettes and I died inside. She was the one I had held in my arms so many years ago that I promised I would never abandon or discard. And uh, uh, I went into a terrible depression, you see. I had everything that I thought I wanted and it wasn't it. It didn't fill in the empty places. And um, 
Again, I contemplated an attempt at suicide. That young man went and took me to the psycho ward, went home, packed his clothes, and left me at almost six years sober. Uh, sober. And the only reason I stand before you tonight is because my higher power has had other plans. You see, it takes a lot to beat me down to my knees, and that's what happened to me. It was the women in Alcoholics Anonymous that came around me in that time that saved my life. It is the women... In Alcoholics Anonymous, we learned to be each other's mamas. I never had a mama, not really. My mother died and we still were like oil and water. We just didn't understand each other. It's not that we didn't love each other. We just were from two different planets, you see. But the women in Alcoholics Anonymous, we take turns being each other's mamas. I got sober in Toastburner country. And I found out that it doesn't matter whether you drink in your kitchen, in your bedroom, and I drink in bars. We still felt dirty inside. And it is from the men in Alcoholics Anonymous that have treated me like a lady that I bet learned to be a lady. But it's because I finally made peace with my God. I said, okay, God, I'm never going to be happy again. All you ever want me to do is work with the sick women drunks and let them puke on me. All right, all right. <laughs> so that is the reason that I threw myself completely and absolutely into this program without any reservation. And I don't know about your higher power, but mine has a weird sense of humor. When I want something so bad, so bad, oh, God, ten Hail Marys, ten Our Father, go to Mass every in communion every week, I promise you, God, forever, it don't happen. As soon as you say, I screw them. (laughs) I don't know about you, but for me, that means surrender in the only language I understand. (laughs) When I got to the other side, there's another, there's a place where I had to go through where I wanted to shoot him down about two inches with a, with a shotgun to watch all the gore go all over, or run him down in the freeway like a tortilla back and forth, back and forth. (laughs) My sponsor assures me they don't lock you up for being crazy, only for acting crazy. She also tells me that if God removes all my character defects, I'll disappear. So, you know. When I asked him to remove my character defects, he said, what an order, I can't go through with it. When I got to the other side, I touched a power and a strength that was way down inside of me. When I realized that nothing and nobody could ever own me again. After all that's said and done, there's only you and me, God, anyway. You see, them people loving me never felt like I was full inside. I still had that lonely, empty something inside of me. But I threw myself into this program. I went to 12-step a women's recovery house and took them to meetings, brought them to my house, gave them money. They thought I cared. I didn't care. I was doing it because I had to do it. Not because I cared. I cared about me. I wanted somebody to do the same thing for me that I was doing for them. I was doing it because I was trudging. You see? But God throws in the joker someplace along the line I started caring. I didn't know where that came from. (laughs) And somehow my caring for you feels exactly the way I thought you caring for me would feel. You see, all them empty places got filled in. I don't know where it comes out of left field. I just going right along. And my children came back. I don't even care if they come back anymore. They came back, went to work. I went to school and became self-supporting through my own contributions. <laughs> just one day at a time I'm sober because I'm an alcoholic. One day at a time I don't steal because my sponsor won't let me. And one, one day at a time I don't get married because there ain't life after marriage. Yeah. I'm one of those ladies that had to learn to live alone to find out the difference between being alone and being lonely. I am one of those ladies that lived alone for nine years 
And I got to know what it was to be comfortable living alone. I, learned, I was one of those ladies that had to learn how to compromise myself in sobriety just to have a friendship or a relationship and find out I can afford to buy my own steak and salad. Thank you very much, you say. I heard a man once talk about his woman the way that Albert talked about his woman today. And I said, I'm tired of selling out. I'm tired of being treated just to have to put a suck it in for one more person so they could care for me. And you know, I wanted somebody to cherish me. You see, I've been laid. I had never been cherished. And so I thought, <laughs> just <laughs> wake up. <laughs> Something happened along that time. My sister, who had always been held up as an example for me, chose to take her life. And she was one of us, and she never thought that she was as bad as me. But she's dead, you see. And at that time, I realized that I hadn't wanted to die in a long time. I don't know why she died and I didn't. I tried to 12-step her, and she would not accept us. Newcomer, I don't come to teach you, I don't come to save you, I don't come to give you nothing. But I truly believe that I have been spared for a reason. That I am God's melody of life and he sings his song through me. That someplace, somewhere, somebody needs to hear the places I come from and where I am today. Because God's hand is always light if I but look. Two weeks after that I became a grandma. I don't know about you guys. I never, never, never really knew how to be a mother. But I tell you what, I just skip, hip, and jump as, uh, as a grandma. I'm a good grandma. I can. I can hold myself up to any grandma. Them kids think grandma and Santa Claus are the same thing. I finally found out how to get along with kids. Just give them everything they want. I had a good job, and I lived good, and I lived in Orange County, and I hung around with an Irish man, an, an Irish woman named uh, Irish Annie. I don't know if you know her, but Annie and I used to compare notes, and we found out the only difference between the Mexican and the Irish is they ate potatoes and we ate beans. <laughs> And the day came when I was happy all by myself and I fell in love again. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I fell in love with a newcomer. If they defend any old-timer spiritual giants, I'll tell you, it offended me, especially since I was a counselor of his in the care unit. And uh, But he, the good news is he lived in Blythe, and so when he finally left, uh, the only one that knew about anything about this was my sponsor. And she said, well, you know, it's a no-no. And I said, well, yeah. She said, he's a nice guy, but he's a no-no. And, uh, and he started calling and uh, sending flowers and candy and, well, I'm a sucker for all this stuff. And uh, <laughs> I had surgery and he came to see me and, uh, well, what can I tell you? Uh, he whispered in my ear and I fell in love with this newcomer. And I took him to a conference with me once uh, where I was speaking, and, and my friend Frank Sloan is coming toward us, and I said, oh, my God, you know. And, you know, I knew what I was going to get. Uh, uh, your friends ain't got no class. Your enemies probably don't tell you anything, but your friends don't care. And he says, is, is he one of us? Well, he sees his, his nose is still red and uh, kind of like Rudolph. And, <laughs> 
and he says, well, how long has that guy been sober? Well, you know, his head kind of like those little Mexican dogs in the Mexican... <laughs> That guy been sober. I said, well, for five minutes. He said, Angie, give that poor guy a break. Let him get sober first. I went over to my sponsor and I said, Mary, I whine good. And she says, Angie, he's a nice guy. If you don't want him, I'll take him. Good enough for my sponsor. She's, she says, just tell him you scooped him in before somebody else did. <laughs> and I found out if you're afraid somebody's going to find out something about you, just tell him. Then you won't be afraid. You see, it's the fear of you finding out who I am. I mean, I'm not here to get well. I, maybe somebody is, but I'm here because I'm an alcoholic. I like doing all bunch of stuff. And I'm not in any danger of getting well. It's the, when I become a... Uh, uh, <laughs> When I become a, start getting uh, enamored with the sound of my voice and thinking I'm wonderful, something happens like that that I know, oh, Jesus, you know, I'm a walking past. I get out, I can't get away with anything. <laughs> so one day uh, he was, he's a, a cowboy farmer, and I'm Pachuco Mexican, <laughs> and we are so different that we're that we're similar, and, and we don't get in each other's way. The good news is that last October the 9th, we've been married 15 years. That's not bad, is it? He still tells me he loves me from scratch. I don't have to chase him around asking, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? No, he tells me from scratch. He reaches over and holds my hand from scratch. It's amazing. He still wants to live with me. Fifteen years. My track record is fifteen husbands in one year. And here I am. He's the first man I wanted to kill. He's just a nice guy. He's a nice guy. And he's validated me as a woman. He cares about me. He cherishes me. And we're both dedicated to making me happy. He thinks I'm the best cook there is, so I'm cooking all the time. He thinks I'm the greatest housekeeper there is, so I'm cleaning house all the time. And he loves his shirts ironed. He's got 85 shirts, and they're all iron color coordinated. Uh, they're my shirts I just let him wear. Uh, I appreciate him. I know that tomorrow is not promised to anybody. When my sister died, I realized how fragile life is. And I made sure that that man knows every day that I love him more than life itself. I told you I had two daughters. Both my daughters are today members of Alcoholics Anonymous. My oldest daughter at last May the 22nd celebrated 14 years. And my youngest daughter who had to go out and uh, she hit the bottom and then somebody handed her a shovel and she made a cellar in her bottom. <laughs> Weighed 75 pounds by the time she got here, you see. And last uh, March she celebrated six years of sobriety, you see. I took my oldest granddaughter to a conference once, and I wore a big white blouse that covers a multitude of tortillas and beans. And, and, 
white baggy pants, and she looked up with me with her shiny little face and says, Grandma, you look just like the white angel. And I looked at that shiny little face, that little innocent face that had never seen her grandma looking like a monster. Her grandma so drunk and so beaten up, couldn't get up to walk, you see. She's never had to have the beatings her mother had. All she's seen is what you've done with me. Yeah, that's what she's done. And that little girl is now a mother. And I am a great grandmother. <laughs> you. I'm a little boy. I have two daughters and two granddaughters and one poor little guy <laughs> that hasn't got a chance of a snowball in hell. <laughs> and his name is Andre, and to me, he's awesome. <laughs> he got his little fist and poked a hole in my heart and cleaned it all out of anybody else. <laughs> Other than that, I don't care much for him. <laughs> I walk in the sunlight of the Spirit. I can't tell you the last day that I had an empty feeling inside. I can't tell you the last day that I was lonely. I can't even tell you the last time there was a fight in our home or that there was anger between my daughters and I. Uh, there, uh, Albert, one time Albert and I were in Colorado together and he said that he take care of your kids but somebody else going to have to take care of mine. And that's the way it is. I don't sponsor my daughters, and they don't ask me to sponsor them. They have their own sponsor. All I do is I love them, and I tell them that I love them more than life itself. And one time, my youngest one heard me say that to her oldest one. She said, you tell me that all the time. I said, well, I love her too, you see, because we have that type of relationship. I let them dump all their anger and their pain at me. It's wonderful to be able to dump your pain on the person that you believe caused it for you. And I said, it is my fault. Whether it is through environment or through genes, it's my fault. But the recovery is yours, you see. The only thing that I know is that I can't, I can't beat myself over that anymore. I have forgiven me, and you're going to have to do yours, you see. My life is none of my business, and your life is none of my business. I must be about my father's business, and that's what I do when I come to speak. I believe that this is a gift that God has given me, the ability to be able to relive my life here, and that I, in such a way that not only does it free you, but it frees me, frees me from the inside so that I can walk away just so grateful just to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't do anything any different today than I did when I was sober. I just a little thing more has been added. I go to meetings, I take the steps, and in that little town of Blythe, they're not very impressed with how long I've been sober or that I'm the main speaker in Sacramento. They just think I'm just another member, and if I start getting too loud, they shut me up too. They're, uh, I, yeah, I gotta use a little finesse in my politics there, but I get the job done. We now follow the traditions in Blythe and we are we we stole the name from Sacramento the name of my home group is a Blythe primary purpose group and, and I stole it from Gwen over here <laughs> and um I just walk in the sunlight of the spirit because he has touched me like he's done you thank you for having me